0: I hear a lot of conversations about open relationships and polyamory in heterosexual and or heteronormative relationships, but then there is also an entire world of queer and kinky and leather polyamory. In my experience, folks who are margin uh, who have marginalized sexual identities in one way tend to be. More open to other sexual cultures or sexual relationship models that are unconventional. But uh, since you specifically specialize in, I keep saying specifically specialize, I feel like that's redundant. <laughs> since you specialize in queer clients, I'm curious about are there patterns that you see uh, among your queer clients, like in terms of their approach to polyamory?
1: That's a good question. Um, but also a very broad question, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess don't... like,
0: how are your queer clients different from your straight clients? Yeah. I, I in terms of
1: polyamory. I'm not sure if I, I can speak... Like, I'm not sure if I have noticed patterns of mm. differences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think there's, like, cultural differences between lesbian-identified folks and queer folks mm. and, and gay folks. Yeah. People who identify as queer, I think might be more likely to be kind of breaking open ideas that they have about uh, what relationship structures can look like yeah whereas it yeah I don't know that it's the same kind of across the board so I think the like push for marriage equality really does reinforce the monogamy ideal right the critique of that being that
0: gay people have only been able to gain civil rights if we because we have been able to effectively persuade the mainstream that we really are just like everybody else and we promise not to talk about butt sex and we promise not to keep like pissing on each other in leather bars and we really actually just want a white picket fence and a diamond ring just like you, we're just like you. Please don't kill us. Please give us rights.
1: Right. We're not perverts. You know. Right. And so, you know, we're we're not gonna you know, because like the arguments against like marriage equality are, you know, well if we open the the door to that, then, you know, people are polygamy, you know, people are gonna be having multiple wives yeah, and fucking their dogs. Fucking their dogs, exactly. Yeah. And so the the response is like, no, no. Like we're not perverts like that. Like we I just want the picket fence. And so I think that you know there are like gains from that but also in terms of polyamory I think there there are some folks who are really just you know more interested in in that kind of a picture right like being being like I'm just normal like everyone else right which and also like back to the research of like some people are just more monogamously oriented like Mm -hmm. some people just are like some people just really want that and that's like it isn't really the case that monogamy is unnatural it's just different for different people
0: absolutely Mm -hmm. I think that I have a bias that queer people are better at open
1: relationships but that's just because that's been my experience and I don't want to be Well, I think there are like some cultural differences and there's a lot of processing already that goes on in queer culture and relationships. And a lot of like soul searching or or like
0: asking, being like critical with yourself about who you are and what you really want and what you don't want. So by the time, you you know, you, you sort of forced into having those conversations and so then you feel more prepared and ready to have other conversations
1: yeah and 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 that actually might be a difference that i see like Mm. um when i'm teaching communication skills in the room Mm. i mean i can't say like certainly as a group but it it is like as a group easier to teach the queers about talking because they're already talking yeah and listening that's really interesting to each other like listening is like kind of the Hardest part of learning how to talk, how to to communicate. is like learning how to listen. Totally, yeah. Do you find, though, that
0: queer people are just, you know, just as, have just as much of a tendency to be jealous, to, you know, uh, be uncomfortable with discomfort, (laughs) or do you find...
1: Do you do you see a difference, in, in discomfort and jealousy? I I don't see a difference in terms of jealousy. Like I, I really think jealousy is just a natural feeling that like is human, right? Yeah. Like yeah, uh, you know whether it's possessiveness or feeling left out or feeling insecure, um, it's just part of kind of a being human, moving through the world, right? So I don't really see a difference around like people feeling jealous or not. Yeah. Um, but there was a second part to what you discomfort discomfort. Um, yeah, there might be there might be a higher tolerance for discomfort mm. generally, just because you know among queer people. Yeah, I mean it's it's not as comfortable to move through the world um, generally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, so there's they're more practiced at like hanging in there for discomfort. Hell yeah. Where, what
0: are some? Where I was like, where does jealousy come from? Like, where do babies come from? Like, <laughs> like, does the jealousy stork like deliver your jealousy to you? Like, like what? Um, I I don't know. I guess my I have a general question about wanting to understand jealousy better um what what are some of do you have some insights into jealousy or or how how we can how we can cope with jealousy in
1: relationship to like how we can cope with relationship and sexual jealousy better yeah I mean I so I think that um attachment theory has a lot of Mm. answers for us tell me about
0: attachment theory
1: yeah sure attachment theory kind of came out of evolutionary theory and basically like this idea that infants are born utterly dependent like they cannot live without a caregiver and so we have programmed mechanisms to create attachments like with like caregivers or more likely like a primary caregiver usually one person is doing the lion's share of the caregiving Um, and like so, so, for example, like an infant cries at a frequency that the human ear like can hear like more than any other frequency mm. and is aversive, like it is not a thing that we like. we want to quiet the crying, we, tell, tell to, me about it, yeah, yeah, we want to soothe that infant, right yeah, yeah. and so, or just yeah, I just want it to shut the fuck up, right <laughs> <laughs> that is like the the way that we attach is through attunement right like you'll hear primary caregivers saying things like oh they're hungry like i can tell by that cry that they're hungry or oh my gosh they're in pain like i know that's a different cry wow um a bored cry or a bored like fussiness sounds different than yeah. like when they're hungry yeah which might sound more like a crisis yeah um and so a parent who can attune well to like what their kid needs it doesn't mean perfectly at all sure so like kind of have a pretty high like hit rate like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm generally in the ballpark of what you need Mm -hmm. you know creates a sensation for that infant that they their like needs will be met and so within the general population as like i'm not even talking about pathology but there Mm -hmm. are different ways to form attachments there are secure attachments and then there's two different um, varieties of insecure attachments Mm -hmm. Uh, one is kind of an avoidant attachment um, that is associated with parenting that is consistently uh missing the mark like consistently not attuned Mm. so what they learn is that like my needs will not get met and so then they are very good at over regulating there are like fascinating studies where like a two-year-old you know they have a like they have a lot of uh, experimental uh not experimental in a like literal sense but like uh lab protocols um where the avoidant infant looks fine in the moment where they're assessing their stress level but when they swab for cortisol in, in their spit, their cortisol levels are through the roof. They, huh. look, they look totally chill. They might, they might just be like looking around the room or maybe, maybe they'll look away from their parent when they come like back in. Yeah. Whereas a secure infant, like their stress, like it's a, stressful, a stress inducing um, protocol. Um, will run over to their parent for comfort Mm. and then is relatively easily comforted like Mm. they're kind of like back to themselves shortly what does it mean when someone has a high level of cortisol that they're stressed out gotcha yeah cortisol is a stress hormone gotcha so I hate that I hate that one <laughs> yeah that one <laughs> worst hormone ever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then the third the third like mate there are four actually but the the fourth is very very unusual and is like in a pathology realm so we'll just not talk about the disorganized attachment but the third like main type is what's called an ambivalent attachment mm. um, and that is associated with inconsistent parenting so sometimes their parents attuned and sometimes they're not and so they if you think about like intermittent reinforcement like they're kind of the ones at the slot machine that keep keep putting in putting in like i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it one day you know oh man um and so they they might like run over to their parent for comfort and then when they get there they might like kick them in the shin or wow. refuse to be soothed or or just like be unable to be soothed because like it's a fraught it's the the like sense of like you can meet my needs is fraught for them yeah and so those attachment patterns, like, are pretty reliable, like, into adulthood. And there are, like, there there are some factors that can, like, mediate that. Like, people have corrective experiences with other attachment figures and that you can change your, or have your attachment classification, like, changed, yeah. you know, if you actually can have that attunement experience. So, That's comforting. Yeah, so I think, <laughs> so I think that, like, in the jealousy scenario of, like, wow, you just, like, broke my bubble that I'm the most special one like there's a very primal need for attunement that we just like as humans really need attunement and I so I think that like for some folks uh who have maybe like a fraught history with attachment they have an avoidant attachment or an ambivalent attachment uh they like move into their adult attachment relationships their sexual relationships as and then other you know emotionally connected relationships too but like sex is a very kind of place that we go that's very primal like infancy like where it's mm. pre-verbal like mm. we're doing a thing that is like lives in our like reptile brain yes yeah, yeah totally the amygdala um Ooh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're laying so much knowledge on me right now i'm like so i'm i'm so into
1: it i'm uh, yeah attachment is so uh fascinating to me and yeah, and me so too. like when when in all relationships whether they're poly or not it's really super helpful to kind of think about your attachment to your caregivers and or caregiver primary one and like see how that's playing out in your relationship what happens when you let me down do i withdraw from you Mm. do i pretend like everything's fine like those would be avoidant patterns right whereas if you're if you're letting me down do i like pursue you am i like all over you am needy. i kind of like right like doing that like pursuer kind of like what some people might call needy kind of behaviors like kind of frantic like you must meet my needs you must and then sometimes like not letting you meet their needs oh man or like a secure <laughs> i'm like yeah, the, uh this is making like too much sense to me
0: not in my current life some of the things that you're saying remind me of some People that are just reminding me why they're
1: my exes. Okay, yeah, yeah um, totally. Yeah, um, and then like a secure, attached, like pattern person. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very awkward sentence. Might sort of just enter like, oh, you disappointed me with like, I'm sure we can work this out. Like, let's just kind of figure that out. Whether it's like a super direct communication or just like entering that conversation with an assumption that we're i'm gonna get my needs met i i know how to communicate them i've found a partner that actually can attune to me i've not run away from those people in my life i haven't decided that they're like oh gee they're not that interesting because they're you know not rejecting me so it's kind of like having
0: well first of all i love the idea of constructing someone as secure i feel like secure is such a um a useful specific and therefore useful way of describing a certain state or aspect of a personality as opposed to like describing it as healthy or normal right mm-hmm. um but it sounds like a secure person in the sense of attachment believes that their needs will be will be met again even if their needs have not been met in
1: this moment yeah and even if like they continue to have their needs not met like they're good at articulating them they're good at saying like this isn't working for me so I'm yeah. going to go find someone who can meet my needs yeah or you know someone who cares me- about or self needs. or meet my needs for myself I know how to self soothe yeah. I know how to cope on my own I have yeah. other resources beside this relationship where yeah. I can you know take care of myself this is so interesting I love it attachment is super super interesting I
0: I am I feel like this is the beginning of a new obsession where I'm like a pop armchair psychologist about everybody's <laughs> behavior and I'm like you know this probably has to do with the uh, year I'm gonna diagnose your attachment state or oh, whatever anyway I promise not to practice without a license
1: <laughs> a lot of people do <laughs> yeah no
0: kidding that's really interesting so let's talk about attachment in terms of how
1: it could so everybody falls somewhere on the spectrum right right and this again is a normative sample like it's like it's like what happens within two standard deviations of the mean mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it's the typical person like I'm not talking about pathology when I say someone's avoidant right and so within the spectrum are there certain kinds of
0: people that are better suited to polyamory or tend more towards being being interested in or have like a
1: high rate of satisfaction with polyamory i wouldn't say so i mean i I think that like if any one of those three like attachment types uh could be really drawn to polyamory right like if say for example you have an, an avoidant pattern yeah Uh, as an adult you like uh, poly might be great for you because when something's not working in one relationship you just dip over to the other one and you avoid dealing with relationships by like dipping over you avoid your you know uh challenges in one relationship that way but then do you end up
0: is there a tendency then to just be avoidant and then to like not deal like if you're like if you're having a fight with one partner and then you or you're not getting your needs met with one partner and so then you go and spend time with your other partner and you get your needs met by that partner then when you come back to the original partner are you feeling more comfortable and secure um or are you then just like back to square one with the issue with the partner
1: yeah it's kind of like that thing was never dealt with and so there's like a wedge between you Whereas, like a a person with a secure pattern might be drawn to poly because they are actually pretty clear about what their needs are, and they are like really thinking like uh, critically about how like it really doesn't make any sense that one person can meet all of my needs, Mm. and um, you know like in addition to myself, like why not seek out like different different folks for different needs? Yeah, and 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 like so interestingly, like the ambivalent uh, pattern looks different uh, for adults. Like we call it uh, preoccupied instead of Mm. ambivalent because Mm. the preoccupied or the ambivalent pattern in adulthood looks like someone who is preoccupied with relationships, right? So you could see someone like that being really drawn to poly because they could sort of have poly be their hobby, right? Like Right.
0: Well, (laughs) look, I definitely know people um, like that. I mean, sometimes I'm like, how... I mean, that's a common thing that I hear where people are like, how do you find the time for all those relationships? I also will say this is my opportunity to go on the record and say that one of the things that made me the most mad about the um, New York Times Magazine story about open relationship or open marriages specifically, actually, one of the things that she said was that she just said conclusively without citing any sources that it seemed very clear to her that open marriages are something only for privileged people because yeah because because, uh if you are juggling several jobs and you know trying to feed your family or whatever you're working class in such and such a way you wouldn't have time for open relationships and like the 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 pre the like failure of reasoning and the failure of journalism and that was very frustrating to me but also i cannot fucking tell you how many working class polyamorous friends that i have that i talked to about that and they were like um excuse me like i have like two boyfriends and a girlfriend and five jobs like and we're making it work you know Uh and also just the the drive that people have to like get their relationships and sexual needs met they will do in the middle of the night, if they have to, you know, they'll work all day and then do that all night, you know, like yeah. anyway, I, that, that really pissed me off.
1: Yeah. That's bullshit. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bamba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. At plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for
0: 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Continue your celebration of love post Valentine's Day with the Pleasure Chest's year round Pleasure Ed Workshop series. In New York City, you can attend Talk Dirty to Me, role play and Fantasy in the Bedroom with Nico on Wednesday, February 28th. If you're in Chicago, check out Anne-Marie's strap-on class on that same day, Wednesday, February 28th. And my LA listeners can get bendy at Intimate Partner Yoga with Miyoko Rifkin on Sunday, February 18th. The Pleasure Chest offers the best selection of highest quality couples toys and pleasure products for all occasions.
1: Visit PleasureChest.com to find out more. So the other thing I like when you were asking about like tools for Mm. folks and this again is something that's helpful for any relationship and and, like literally like every relationship like the way you interact at the grocery store and Mm. and, like just moving through the world as a person versus like just doesn't have to be primary like sexual relationships um, is this concept of differentiation of self Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which that's kind of the clinical term and uh what it feels like in practice is like holding on to yourself Hmm. so um it's it's about like managing the tension between autonomy and togetherness between uh intimacy and um, like freedom Mm -hmm. um and and so so like what it looks like more in practice is being able to, to maintain an intimate connection with a person without being super emotionally reactive. Right. So, uh, one of the things that people do in relationships is they want to remove their partner's discomfort. So like, I know you and I want to make sure that you're not upset about this thing that I'm doing. I don't want to tell you that I want to sleep with somebody else because you're going to get upset about it. Right. And, 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 And the truth is that you, you actually can't manage someone else's feelings. Like not only do you, you, like you can't make someone feel like happy, especially if they're unhappy, (laughs) right? Like they're like, sometimes we're like, oh, this thing is like, I feel so happy because this thing is in my life, but, or, and it could be a person, but like if someone's trying to make you feel better when you are like having a feeling, sometimes that lands as like dismissive. So it's a, it's like a setup for failure. So differentiation of self is about focusing on your own role in the dynamic that you're in because the only thing that you have any power over is what you are doing yeah you can't actually make someone happy or change the way they behave um, you can work on your stuff right like you can say wow I'm really feeling insecure and like what's coming up for me and "And what is that about and "Where does this come from in my life and what does it look like today, and how can I manage it so that it's not, I'm not smushing it all over my partner mm. and saying, like, you should adore me completely? Mm. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's an ideal. It's a really, it's one of those things that's like very, it's kind of sounds simple when I say it. Like, of course, yeah, you should just do these things, but no, it's it really, it doesn't
0: actually sound that simple.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's really hard in practice. It's really yeah. kind of hard to kind of be like, I am my, another thing that people do if, if I like, present this idea is that they'll say okay like I'm not gonna be reactive to what's going on with you so I'm gonna let you have your feelings Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna be invested in changing your feelings and so people sometimes say all right well you're upset that's yours you're on your own deal with it and that sort of ignores the intimacy component of differentiation so Hmm. you're just kind of like leaving someone or like letting them just like you know that's your problem yeah but so, so what the intimacy looks like there when you're not like getting thrown around by the other person's anxiety yeah, is that you move toward them, right? You might be curious about it. You might ask questions. You might let them know that you really care that they're like really struggling with this thing. Yeah, They might even like ask you for advice and you might say, well, I would do this thing, but then you like detach from the outcome, right? Like you allow them to do with whatever you've shared with them, like however they want, right. They might not take your advice and people get really upset when they're like, Oh, I, I, you know, I spent like 10 hours with that friend over the last month, like giving them my opinion about how they should behave. And they, they didn't even take it. Like, why should I spend my time that way? And it's kind of like, well, like you shouldn't be invested in what they do with it. Like, Mm. you know, they're asking you for your advice and, or your opinion. And, you know, you can put it out there, but then you have to kind of like, Let go of the outcome, which is super helpful for me as a therapist to be kind of like, all right, like, you know, we're processing stuff and sometimes people ask me for advice, which I love giving advice. Awesome. (laughs) Um, But then I have to kind of pull out of what they do with it because that's really their work. That's their process. If you could
0: just make everyone your puppet, you know, everybody would be so much happier. Yeah. Um,
1: (laughs) That's my fantasy. (laughs)
0: Melissa, I want to ask you to talk with me about some things that are just hot about polyamory or non-monogamy, open relationships. Um, to, we've I think we've talked about a lot of the things that are challenging and and maybe why those challenges then are fulfilling and worth it. but also like what are what are some hot possibilities about polyamory? I mean, first of all, like, I'll start and say that, you know, sometimes polyamory is about your partner having other partners, but sometimes polyamory is about being open to having sex with your partner and someone else together. Yeah. And actually, I I, I know a lot of people who have that parameter in their open relationship agreement that they can sleep with other people, but it has to be together. Right. So they can like have threesomes or go to play parties, but like they they can't go on their own. They, they got to do it together. And that seems to really work for a lot
1: of people. It does. And, and yeah, group sex is super hot. It's so hot. Um, and, and a lot of poly people say, like, I don't really want group sex. But right. a lot of poly people do. Like, they're yeah. just like, oh, look at this. Now this kind of opens up a whole new world. And there might even be like... Certainly if you're kinky and poly, there are like sex and play poly pop parties, sex and play parties that, um, you know, people are really mixing it up there. And, right. and actually what I find in the queer kinky poly community is that those folks are experts at safer sex rules like they're so good with the gloves and the barriers and you know just not even getting tested and talking about their when was last time
0: they were tested and what's their status and understanding how to make a risk or assessment like if somebody like does have herpes that doesn't mean that they have to be like quarantined like right you know what
1: yeah yeah and so like there's right the the like sex positivity that comes with polyamory often Mm you know is is liberating it's it's like oh wow like sex is good and i can pursue my sexual pleasure like you know that's a radical idea for some people even though like we're having sex for pleasure yeah like what we learn in in school and often the talk that people have with their parents is like about biology and disease right right like maybe your peers when you're a teenager will talk about sex for pleasure and like you and i like to talk about sex for pleasure yeah But a lot of people aren't talking about sex for pleasure. Like it's kind of like this kind of aspect that is. Well, I think
0: I think people feel uncomfortable talking about pleasure and related things like consent and love uh, and intimacy um, without talking about it in a prurient way. So people are worried that. conversation about pleasure will be will be arousing and will will be like a um a discussion uh will will cross a a line and be inappropriate for example that a that a meant that a parent or a mentor figure talking to a younger person about um you know uh you know understanding your own desires and or, or you know what what pleasure can be good for in a relationship could be like a seductive people. People don't know how to separate those conversations from conversations that are porny basically
1: is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And and if you can't do that, then how is a young person supposed to know when they're ready to have sex? If you can't talk about sex for pleasure, then how do they even know when they're ready? Like they might feel it. Like they might kind of, you know, I have a, I have a memory of being, actually 14 and being like I want to yeah I want to have intercourse. I'm I want that. Yeah. Um but not everybody like people are kind of like some people feel that and some people don't, right? Sure. And they just assume like all my friends are and so I guess it's time.
0: Yeah.
1: Or you know, gosh, I'm a junior in college and I still haven't and something's wrong with me. Right. Or well, I want that that um rite of passage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think that like polyamory like communities are often very sex positive and will open up like that concept and that like create space for sex positivity which is awesome
0: what are some other things that are hot about being polyamorous
1: um well I think like in my life uh like there are you know I have partners who I date or have sex with and then, you know, other people I know are also having sex with that person. Mm-hmm. It can be really hot to be like, oh, like this thing that they do, like they are, this thing that they do is so super hot. Like, let's like join around what it's like to fuck that person. That's fun. Right. Like, can you believe how far they can ejaculate? I think it was like six <laughs> feet. Like they hit the lamp, you know, like, and you can be like, yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Like, you know. Uh, stuff like that is is super fun oh my god um hot what else is hot i mean it's so hot to be continuing to explore and get like to to like kind of ride your sexual path like the way any other like personal growth would like to think of it that way that yeah. like uh i heard a uh, christian northrop speaking she's like a menopause gynecologist expert oh cool years and years ago and she was saying that the number one predictor of like a change in libido like if you have a low libido and it spikes to a high libido or even a moderate libido is a new partner yeah right so like you've got a new partner and all of a sudden you want to fuck all the time you know like it just makes you feel sexier it makes you feel attractive to have new people being like you are desirable like I want to fuck you I want to do this to you whoa I never even thought about that like yeah okay let's try that or no that's not for me but like well and so you know and often in uh polyamory circles that's
0: referred to as new relationship energy right Mm -hmm. NRE and uh and it can and NRE can uh bring up feelings of uh jealousy in other partners right like if you've been with someone for a long time and then you see them with a lot of that giddy crushed out you know not sleeping um uh, nre you can feel like oh i remember when i had that with this person and i wish that i could make them feel that way but it's not really the nature of our relationship anymore yeah um But also, sometimes when you have new relationship energy with one person, it makes you, it helps you to appreciate, it sort of injects your established relationship. Um, With its own version of NRE or it's like a little bit of like collateral NRE right or you like appreciate what you do have with that person or you feel grateful to that person that they that, that they have been willing to do this unconventional open relationship thing so that you can have that.
1: Yeah. And Esther Perel, who's like my favorite sex therapist, Yeah, I think she's amazing. She talks about how um, the things that feed love, like mm. attachment and security and safety and predictability and routine, are the opposite from the things that feed desire. Like novelty. Novelty, a little bit of fear, like mm-hmm. I don't even really, do they like me yet? I don't even know. Yeah. Or um you know the unknown like who is this person yeah Yeah. learning them and so being poly gives you an opportunity to kind of see your partner through another person's eyes yeah like oh yeah I'd forgotten about that hot thing that you have that you do that you are and that's like a great way to keep the desire going in your own relationship is to be able to see your partner through someone else's eyes also like I know a lot of people have a lot of jealousy and possessin- p-
0: possessiveness issues around like other people paying attention to their partner but like I, you know I feel like when you see somebody else recognizing your partner as hot shit you're like yeah, yeah. that's mine yeah. it like reflects positively on you right
1: that's my hot shit yeah yeah that I'm happy to share yeah or like aren't some- you lucky that I
0: am um, <laughs> benevolent enough to like share you know spread this around
1: well and also like even when it's hard for me to share it like it's still hot for me to know yeah that thing that that person sees in you and like what's happening there yeah yeah
0: that's awesome Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. any other any other hot things
1: about polyamory i okay so i feel like if I feel like sometimes what can happen if you're having multiple sexual partners is that you learn new things about your body because you're just having more varied experiences. Right. So um, people like learn different ways to come. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So there are like five ways that a person who's uh, female assigned at at birth can come. Yeah. Like um, clitoral G spot, Mm -hmm. anal Mm. uh, nipple. Mm-hmm. and urethral oh yeah yeah <laughs> super fun um and like you know a lot of the time like we learn how to come literally which is is awesome and yeah. is all and often the like big big fireworks orgasm whereas other yeah. other kinds you know can be different in quality mm-hmm. but you like can learn different ways to come because you're having different people fuck you different ways totally or you know fuck around with you different ways yeah and so you learn your body more you like yeah you know you have a more satisfying sex life because you're just learning more and growing more sexually totally Mm -hmm. i agree yeah i think so i think for those of us who are slut identified Mm -hmm. it's really affirming right so it's just like i am you know i just want to fuck everyone on the eastern seaboard yeah you know like i that's just my goal yeah You know, so that's really hot and empowering and be like, I'm a slut. Like, that's great.
0: Yeah, and it is also nice to not feel like you have to, if you identify as a slut and you feel great about being a slut and you also find yourself wanting intimacy comfort security stability whatever that looks like to you feeling like they're not mutually exclusive um and that you don't have to give up your slutty identity or your slutty activity or your slutty ways or your slutty personality in order to have those things
1: yeah yeah totally i i know like of a case where like someone's libido was tanking in their uh primary relationship in their Mm. monogamous relationship yeah and they were really having an identity crisis because they were they were saying like i'm the slut like i'm actually the slut from my high school right and i don't want to have sex anymore like what's going on you know and a new sexual partner might actually bring that back for you you yeah. know so yeah um also there's like work to be done in relationships too if you are monogamous and you want to you know get your mojo back but like I, also being yeah i mean the energy that you have for
0: sluttiness like in your 20s might be like slightly diff- <laughs> like might be you
1: can you can sca- you, you can scale your sluttiness sure just like you know i'm gonna exercise differently too yeah totally <laughs>
0: If there's one piece of advice, I mean, if you have a piece of advice that would apply to folks who are new to polyamory and old hat at polyamory, what would it be?
1: Well, I guess guess that would be different. I would have different answers for that. So so people who are new to polyamory, I would say, like, don't assume that if it's hard work or you're uncomfortable or you don't like something that's happening, that that means... It's not working or it's not for you. It might not be for you. Yeah. Um, you might not want to pay the poly tax, you yeah. know, but, um, but it like discomfort is part of personal growth and relationships. And so like that doesn't necessarily mean it's a failure.
0: It's also not Pandora's box. Like you could try and you could work on it and you could just, dis- you could conclude after doing some work that polyamory is not for you and you could learn a lot about yourself and your partner and your relationship through that work and and and, and not actually end up living an entire life of being poly but totally. it's still worth exploring yeah and mm-hmm. experimenting with yeah so you don't have to worry that there's like only yeah that you're like tainted forever
1: mhm but also like I I don't believe that like everyone should be poly and people will say to me like oh you're polyamorous like wow I really couldn't do that I could never do that meaning I could never handle the jealousy that would come up if my partner were having sex with someone else. Right. That's the subtext. Um and usually I just say like it's not for everybody because I'm not I don't have an agenda that like it's better or more evolved or like we should all do this thing. I mean, people
0: are always like that when they encounter somebody who has some identity or quality that they are intimidated by or don't understand. I mean, when I was a vegetarian, like if any, <laughs> fucking anytime I told someone I was a vegetarian, you know what they would say, they would say, oh, I can never do that. Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm so jealous of all that tofu. I don't know, but you know what I mean. It's like I don't fucking care if you're a vegetarian. Like yeah, like I'm. I mean, some vegetarians do, I guess, but like, you know. And it's the same with sex work. You know, they're like yeah. Oh yeah, I can never do that. It's like great. Like more money for me. Yeah. 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 Totally. Like it's
1: not for everybody. Yeah. Also, who has to?
0: But anyway, yeah. yeah. Um. So, what advice would you give to someone who was a seasoned?
1: nominogs individual well i mean to me i think like learning about differentiation and like really l- learning about uh doing that work yourself yeah um would be the thing i would recommend but it's really hard there isn't a lot of good uh stuff to buy and and read about like um schnarsch has a couple of books one is called uh, passionate marriage and one is called Intimacy and Desire. And they both talk about um, differentiation with regard to like uh, people who come for sex therapy because of discrepant desire issues or a low libido issue or mm. things like that. And um, and so I think I think that he's like one of the few who is, is like covering that uh, that I know of. Cool. I'm sure there are other people. And certainly like on the internet you can read about it. Uh, you can just like do your own research there for sure, and so I think I think I think differentiation like it's it's a it's kind of at the center of my work like attachment and differentiation is kind of central to me in terms of helping people kind of like find themselves and hold on to themselves. Um, so that would be my advice for folks who are kind of seasoned poly folks who just want to keep growing and doing it better and taking responsibility for themselves that's a great
0: note to conclude on melissa thank you so much you i i've learned a lot
1: awesome Uh, you know thanks so much for having me this is super fun
0: if people want to find out more about your work what should they do right
1: so uh, i uh, i don't have a good like website of my own Um, unfortunately, but if you go to the first.com website, I have a page under the therapists. So that is P H I I R S T.com. And what is that? So first is the group practice that I work in. Um, and that, and there were all sex therapists and relationship therapists. And so it stands for Philadelphia Institute for Individual Relational and Sex Therapy. Cool. Yeah, you can email me at desero. dot uh, at first. So that's d e s s e r e a u at p h i i r s t. dot com. And you can you can search for me on Psychology Today. Cool. Mm-hmm. Have you written articles on Psychology Today? No. Oh. Oh. Okay. Oh. No. No. Just like as a therapist. Oh, like, that's a ther. Oh.
0: Okay. I was thinking that that is that is that a magazine?
1: It is a magazine. Oh, but okay. It also but it's has a, like a listings. Online, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Cool.
0: Have you done any like writing or like any kind of like
1: media about your practice? I uh, haven't okay. really. No. Well, now you have. Yeah. I mean, I've been interviewed in, in like a few little things, but they're, I don't know how easy it is to find those things. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Well, uh, in that case, I'm extra
0: proud to have uh, had, had you on the show and thanks for talking to me about slutty models of relationships
1: yeah my favorite awesome thank you so much thank you